I don't know how many of you here this morning were at the early service when Pastor, um, uh, when Brother Allen was ministering. It was good. It was really, really good. It was so good that it, in essence, was kind of like a part one to what I'm going to be sharing today. And some of the terms that he used during his message are terms you may be hearing me use during this. And I was, I sat there and just chuckled a little bit like, this is cool. Here's, we, uh, Kathy and I had lunch uh, with Brother Allen yesterday, but not one time did we talk about our sermons for today. We talked about other things. We, we never mentioned the sermons for today other than, you know, oh, well, you have the 8.30 service tomorrow. Yeah, that was it. That was it. And I thank God for the way he worked all of this out because when I knew I was coming here, we were just coming here, and then I was asked to minister in this service. And okay, so God, you know, what do you want me to, to minister on? And, and it began to develop over time and, and pretty much finalized yesterday afternoon. Well, um, one of the things, you have to go back and listen to his message. But one of the things he spoke about, uh, used an illustration of trees, that there are two trees. Now, both of these trees, and I'm super summarizing here, both of these trees are Christians in churches, just to kind of give you the, the idea. And these trees represent how you become everything that God wants you to become. Well, as he's sharing this, and I write this down, and these two trees, what I wrote down is these two trees both have a great big capital letter R, like wood burned in them. But on one tree, the R means religion. And on the other tree, the R means revival. Now, if you walk up to the two trees, you see R on both of them. Well, it looks identical. It doesn't look from the outside like it's any different. The, the problem is that there's a lot of difference. Because the tree that is religion has all different kinds of branches. And all these different branches bear all different kinds of fruit that you're told this is revival. That you're told, well, this is the branch to take you to this place where you need to be. This is the branch that takes you into everything that God wants you to be. This is how you do this. All these different branches. But then over here on the tree that's revival, there's only only one branch. There's, there's only, you know, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, of life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Well, everybody has done that to get to both trees, but it's what happens afterward that makes the difference. So, in this tree for revival, there's really only, you know, one branch. In other words, there's, there's really only one way to get to that place of revival and to get to that place that God wants you to be. You don't have all these other options. Um, kind of give you an example. I wasn't even thinking about it until just a few moments ago. Many years ago, I think it might be maybe 10 or 15, we planted a weeping cherry tree in our front yard. 
Now, it started out as just a small, you know, infant tree, if you will. And it began growing. And it's looking good. And it's growing. And it's looking good. But then, what we noticed is, there's something weird about this as it was getting bigger. Well, the day came, you know, one spring, we look, and this tree has pink blooms, and it has white blooms. Well, it's not supposed to be like that. It, it's just supposed to be one or the other. Now, typically, a weeping cherry does not produce cherries. But this one, a couple of times, it produced what looked like a cherry. And, and it kind of was a cherry, but it, it wasn't what you'd want to eat. I mean, it had issues. <laughs> it just You don't want to pick that and eat it. But here, what has happened is this. That tree, it started leaking sap. Just here, this year, we've noticed this. It's leaking sap. It's looking bad. When we get back home, we're going to have somebody cut that tree down because it's, it's not going to make it. And as I was thinking about that, the Lord said, that's kind of what's happening here with this, this religion tree. In that... Well, Jesus is a part of that tree. The Bible's a part of the tree. But what's happened is people have tried to graft in something that's not supposed to be there on that tree. And as they graft it in, and that's what we figured out had happened, somebody had somehow, someway grafted something into this tree. Well, as, as this is grafted into the tree... It cannot produce what it's supposed to produce. Now, it'll look good for a period of time. But eventually, that which has been grafted into the original, it's going to corrupt the whole thing. And it's not going to work. And eventually, it will die. But it all starts out looking good. Go ahead and turn over to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians Chapter 1. So what we have today are a lot of people in churches. We've all started out at the same place. And that is faith in Jesus Christ to be born again. But oftentimes we get led to a tree that we're told, okay, this is the tree that you need to climb. You know, this is, this is what you need to do. And so we don't know any difference. So we start living on that tree. But eventually, we begin to realize that it's not working the way that we thought it would, especially if we happen to look over to the revival tree. And we begin to see something different over there. And we take a look at our tree, and we see there's a difference in this. Well, at that point, we have a choice. We can climb down from the religion tree and then go over and climb up the revival tree, or we can stay where we are. Thing is, staying where we are is reinforced by the people who control the branches on the religion tree. And they're going to tell us, no, you, you don't need to get over into that. And not only that, but they'll be yelling to the people on the revival tree, you guys, come on, you need to be over here with us. You need to be over 
on our branch, on our tree. In Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul writes, verse 10, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Just can you see the imagery of a tree that he's talking here? It's all supposed to be a part of the same tree, not all split up. Well, then he says, For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I have Apollos, and I have Cephas, and I have Christ. When he says contentions, it, it, disagreements, and in some cases, you know, flat out heated arguments. I'm right, you're wrong, follow me. Well, look over in chapter 3. He brings this up again. He says, And I, brethren, verse 1, could not speak unto you as spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Cephas, are you not carnal? So we see there's a lot of division going on in this church, but everybody started at the same place. Jesus Christ, born again, and filled with the Holy Spirit. But he doesn't stop there. Turn over to chapter 11. Chapter 11. Now in chapter 11, just pick it up in verse 17. Now, in this I declare unto you, I praise you not that you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must also be heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest. So this is the third time that he's identified there's a real problem in your church. Divisions, contentions, you're not unified in doctrine and you're not unified on the revival tree, if you will. Now, notice in this, in verse 18, he says there are divisions among you. And I partly believe it. That word divisions, it comes from the Greek word schisma. And it means a schism, division, a tear in mind or sentiment or belief, meaning something has disrupted the continuity of that which is supposed to be believed. And um, this word schisma comes from the word schizian. And I may be mispronouncing some of these, so <laughs> extend grace. But the word schizian comes, or it is the uh, Greek foundational word from which we get the word schizophrenia. Now, I won't get into all the things about schizophrenia, but, but you can see there's something really bad going on here when he uses this word divisions. And then in verse 19, he uses the word heresies. Now, this word heresies, it comes from a Greek word, uh, and it means uh, heresies. It means a divergent thought, opinion, or belief on the part of an individual who is still a part of the same body or group. In other words... Here I am teaching something from the Word. The pastor stands up and, and he's, he's teaching truth, line upon line. But then you've got somebody who's listening to this and 
you look at them and it seems like they're paying attention. But on the inside, they're saying, no, no, uh-uh, no, I don't agree with that, no. They're not denying Jesus. They're not denying the Holy Spirit. They're not denying what we would say, the Bible. But what's happened is they've come to a place of having a thought, opinion, or belief that is not aligned with what is being taught. See, But they're still here. They're still in this place. Now, an excellent example of this in the Old Testament, I'll just read it to you. It's from 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 20 and 21. And this is uh, right before Elijah and the prophets of Baal had the big, you know, issue there and the, the fire from heaven and, and all that. But anyway, it says, So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered not a word. They didn't answer a word, but what was happening on the inside of them was either an agreement or a disagreement with what they were hearing from Elijah. But this perfectly exemplifies what it is that Paul is writing about here. Now you'll notice in both uh, verse 18 and verse 19 the phrase, among you. Now what that means is that the heresies, the divisions that he's talking about, they are currently in that church when everybody comes together. Currently within the same congregation. You have the Paul people, the Cephas people, the Apollos people, the Christ people. There's all this difference that's going on. Different beliefs. And everybody says they're right. Everybody says, well, I got this from the Lord. And so on and so forth. Now, this, this whole process, here's how it plays out. The heresy begins as a thought. Then it progresses to a belief, which progresses from that point to a doctrine, which progresses to a teaching. And once it progresses to a teaching, that then progresses to a division or a schisma within the congregation of the local church. Now, if that is not stopped, then what happens is it leads to a breaking away of the divisionists from the local congregation. They take their bunch with them and they go someplace else. You can all relate to this. Now, I want to give you some examples of this happening. Turn over to, um, leave a marker here in 1 Corinthians. We're going to be coming back. But turn over to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. And in Revelation chapter 2, um, you know, the, uh, John's receiving this uh, instruction from the Lord. And he's speaking to John about the church in Pergamos. And we pick it up in verse 14. The Lord says, I have a few things against thee, that church, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine 
of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. So then the question comes up, well, you know, who are the Nicolaitans? Well, Arrhenius and um, Hippolytus, two, just two of the early church leaders, they said, in their writings, they wrote that the Nicolaitans were actually followers of Nicholas of Antioch. We first learn of Nicholas of Antioch in Acts chapter 6, when um, the church is gathered together, and some people went to the apostles, and they said, look, you know, we have the Grecian widows they are not being tended to properly. And the apostles said, well, we don't have time to tend tables. So we want you to look out among you and find seven men of good report, uh, filled with the Holy Ghost and wisdom, and bring them to us. So the people looked out and they began, you know, searching for these people of uh, these men of good report. That phrase "good report" means good reputation, both um, socially outside the church and within the church. So of good report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. Well, they had Stephen and a bunch of others, but then one of them was Nicholas of Antioch. So now Nicholas of Antioch was part of the seven. They all meet with the apostles. The apostles examine them, then lay hands on them and set them in this position of leadership, if you will, to minister to the people to, you know, serve the tape, to serve the tables. In us, in essence, to be representatives of the apostles to the people when it comes to serving the tables and, uh, you know, feeding and, and so on and so forth. Well, what we see then is that something's happened from when Nicholas started to this right here. Now, the book of Acts, Acts chapter 6, was written somewhere 30 to 35 A.D., and the book of Revelation was written somewhere around 90 to 95 A.D. So 60 years have passed from the time that Nicholas was approved by the apostles and people began following after him to the point that eventually this sect, if you will, developed within the church. Now, one of the, uh, the teachings of the Nicolaitans had to do with a blending of um, oh, mythology and um, the occult with the teachings of Christ, the teachings of the apostles. Now, I'm going to give you just one simple example of that. It would be the same thing if Christians today are involved with um, astrology or the horoscope. If, if you are doing that, you are a Nicolaitan. There's no other way around this. And God says he hates it. You don't want to be doing something that God hates. But according to the word and according to history, that is exactly the pattern that was taking place back then. So he's blending this, but he's in the church. He hasn't left the church yet, and he's teaching this. And there are people who are grabbing a hold of it. So then, if an apostle stands up and says, this is the way it is, you know, this is the tree, this is what you're supposed to do, the people who are part of the Nicolaitans, they're going to be sitting there thinking, no, 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 all of what you're saying, no, uh -uh, that's not right. Now, I appreciate what you're doing, but no. That's not right. Well, another example of this division, an example uh, or, um, of the schisms, it's over here in 1 John chapter 2. Turn over there. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, 
He writes, Little children, it is the last time, and as you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that this is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. So what do we see? We see people who are, at one time, they are a part of what the apostles are doing. The teaching and so forth. They are a part of it at one time. But then, they begin thinking. And they begin thinking beyond what they're hearing. And the thinking eventually becomes a belief, which becomes a doctrine, which becomes a teaching, which becomes this division. And he's saying, look, they went out from us, but we didn't send them out. They were not ordained of us. In fact, in essence, this is saying, we're not even sure where these people are now in their relationship with Jesus Christ. And the whole phrase of Antichrist does not mean there is no Christ. It means opposition to the sum total of everything Christ is and what he has said and what he has given. That's what this phrase, Antichrist, is really talking about. And then if you turn over to Acts chapter 20... Acts chapter 20. And here in Acts chapter 20, we're just going to pick it up in verse uh, 29. The Apostle Paul is meeting with the leadership from the Ephesian church. And he says, verse 29, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, watch, be on your guard, guard your heart, guard your mind, and remember that by the space of three years, I ceased not to warn everyone night and day with tears. So he said, look, I spent three years warning you people about this. This was going to happen. And I'm telling you, as soon as I'm gone, these, he calls them, grievous wolves, and men arising, speaking perverse things. Now, this, this is interesting because this word perverse, the phrase perverse things, it comes from the Greek word diastrepho, dia meaning separation, and strepho meaning to turn. In essence, what it's saying is to turn, twist, pervert, or distort. Or distort. So what he's saying is these men are going to rise up among you, and they're going to begin teaching things that will sound good. They'll have the name of Jesus associated. They'll, they'll make reference to the blood of Jesus and salvation and, yeah, being filled with the Holy Spirit. However, they're going to begin to twist this and say, well, it doesn't really mean what you've heard. Because what you've heard is leading you in the wrong direction. It's not going to produce what you think it's going to produce let us tell you what's really being said and what's really going on. That's what he's talking about. So then what we see is that Paul is writing this letter to the Corinthians. And one of the reasons that he's writing this letter is to try to rein this in before it goes further than what it is relative to all the divisions and the schisms and the heresies. In, um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 or verse 14 through 17. Take a look at this. And this is this is a key in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 14. 
Paul says, I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have you not many fathers. For in Christ I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. For this cause have I sent unto you Timothy, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. That is so critical. Because what that means is, whenever we read a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul, it could be Corinthians, it could be Ephesians, Philippians, it doesn't matter. Every church that Paul visited, everywhere he went, he preached the exact same thing. So anything that we read in Corinthians, anything we read in Ephesians, anything we read in any of these, the message that he taught in one church is the message that he came over here and would teach to another church. He did not teach a different doctrine everywhere he went. So if I see something... If I see something in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, talks about tongues, then what this means is that he taught about praying in tongues to the the Ephesians and to the Galatians and to everybody else. He taught the same thing. But not only did he teach the same thing, what he's telling them is, Timothy, he understands this and knows it the exact same way I know it and understand it. So I can send him there to you and he is going to teach you the same thing that I teach in every church, the same thing that I would teach you if I were there in in person. There's going to be no difference whatsoever. Okay, that's the way it's supposed to be. And in Ephesians, let me just read Ephesians chapter 2 verses 19 through 20. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. In another place, we see where the apostle Paul had a meeting with Peter and uh, some of the other uh, apostles. And essentially, they were comparing notes. And they came to the conclusion, the realization, that what Peter and all of the others were teaching, Paul was teaching the same thing. There was no division. So that means all the other apostles received their revelation from the same source that Paul received his revelation. Well, we know that source. The Holy Spirit from Jesus. So... Here they are receiving the same teaching and they're going out and they're teaching to all these churches and all these believers. And it says that we are built upon the foundation of, and we could say it this way, of the teachings of the apostles and the prophets. And they receive their teaching from the cornerstone who is Jesus Christ. So then we know that if we're going to be built up, if we're going to grow, The only way to do it is what we see written and recorded right here in the scriptures by the apostles and prophets. That's it. There's no other option. There's no other variation. There's no other way to divide it out. This is it. This is the tree, if you will, right here. This is it. It's the only way it's going to happen. Now look over in Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. Let's walk through this a little bit. In Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, 
Paul writes, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which were at Colossae. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you, since the day ye heard it, and knew the grace of God in truth, as ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ. Now notice here in verse 5, he says, For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit. This right here is essentially the same thing that Jesus was talking about when he said the sower sows the word. He said the sower sows the word, and if you look at the way it's written in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the same parable, then what you see is the sower sows the word, and there are some people who hear it, they receive it, they meditate on it, they act upon it, they live by it, and those are the ones who bring forth the fruit. He says right here, you heard the word, and then when he talks about the fact that it bringeth forth fruit, what he's saying is, you not only heard it, but you received it, you meditated on it, you dug into it, you acted upon it, you put it into practice in your life, and because of that, it now, the word, is able to bring forth the fruit that, that everything uh, that God has for you, for your life, everything that you're supposed to be in Christ is now able to come forth because you've received this word. You just didn't hear it and, and move on in life. You heard it and you put it into practice. And you didn't deviate from it because if you had deviated from it, it wouldn't be able to produce the fruit that it's supposed to produce in those who accept it, receive it, act upon it, and live by it. And so when he says that these folks are bearing forth this fruit, yeah, he's saying you've done what you're supposed to do with the truth that the apostles have delivered unto you. And this whole thing of Epaphras uh, uh, teaching them, he couldn't teach what he didn't know. And he was a disciple of Paul. So just like Timothy, Epaphras has said, he's listened to Paul, Paul has sown into him, and he hasn't deviated from what we would call the writings of the Apostle Paul. He's applied it to his life to the point that he now was able to go into the church at Colossae and deliver unto them the exact same thing that the Apostle Paul would have delivered if he had been there in person teaching these people. Now look in verse 9. He says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Well, okay, Paul, thank you very much. I appreciate that prayer. But why is that so important and why do I need it? Well, because verse 10, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in 
every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, dunamis, according to his glorious power, unto all patience, long-suffering, and joyfulness. So what we see is a process here. He says, look, I'm praying for you folks. That, and I, my desire is that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you will walk worthy of the Lord as a testimony unto him, unto all pleasing in the sight of God, being fruitful in everything he wants you to do and increasing in the knowledge of God. There's only one way this can happen. And that is by being filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. If I'm filled with the knowledge of His will in wisdom and understanding, spiritual wisdom and understanding, not human wisdom and understanding, but spiritual wisdom and understanding, there's only one way that can happen, and that is if I'm in fellowship with the Source. That's it. There's only one way. And jump over to verse 21. Because what we just read there in verses 9 through 11, that thought continues throughout this book. In verse 21, he says, And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight, if, if, you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. When he talks here about, um, in verse 22, to present you holy, unblameable, and unreprovable, that word unreprovable, it comes from a Greek word that means free of any legal charge. It's something whereby if you're put in a court of law, you cannot be uh, proven guilty of deviating from an established truth. Unreprovable. The unre- it's, this isn't simply about acts of sin. It's also about standing, if what he puts here, continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel. See, what happens, when I, when I was raised in church, we were told that the gospel was simply a matter of you must be born again. And, and that was it. The truth of the matter is, guys, the gospel is that book you have in your hands right now. This is the gospel. Everything that's in here. It's not simply you must be born again, but it's also the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's also the, the signs and the wonders and the miracles. It's also the truth. It's also, I mean, just it's everything that we see in here. It's the sum total of what is recorded in Scripture. This is the gospel. And when he says not moved away from the hope of the gospel, he's not simply saying... Not be moved away from believing in Jesus and that's the end of it. No, the hope of the fullness of the gospel that God has delivered unto the church from Jesus through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that's been recorded in Scripture. This is our hope. This is our hope. Because, see, if I stand up and I tell you, well, Jesus, the cross, the blood of Jesus, you know, died for your sins. You've got to believe in Him. You must be born again. But then you don't have to repent if you sin from that point on. Then what I've done is I've delivered truth. I've delivered hope 
But now I'm leading you away from the fullness of the hope of the gospel. And I'm basically telling you, well, God's standards have changed from what he originally put right here in the word. Well, God's standards have not changed. Now, if you look in um, chapter 2, verse 1. For I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love. Now look at this. Unto all the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Well, see, a moment ago, in verse in chapter 1, he said that I want you to be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Then we come over here to chapter 2, and he says, knit together in, in love under the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and the Father and of Christ in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. See that? Hidden in Him. That means the only way that you're going to get the knowledge of His will, the only way that you're going to get this wisdom, the only way that you're going to get this spiritual understanding, the only way is if you go to Him to receive it. That's it. And the only way that you can go to Him is if you go to Him. See this? You can't come to me. I am delivering information to you right now. But the information I'm delivering to you is letting you know how you can get the fullness of this knowledge and this understanding because it only comes from him. It says it's hid in him. Now, in this passage, you see this phrase, verse 2, the full assurance. And I'm not going to get into a whole lot of the Greek words, but what it means is an unwavering inner confidence, an inner witness. An unwavering inner confidence, an inner witness. In other words, you come to the place of being so, so strong in this belief that it doesn't matter if somebody comes along and begins deviating or twisting the truth and making it sound so good that you think, hmm, you know what? I like what I'm hearing. No, you will be so strong in this full assurance that it doesn't matter how good it sounds, you're going to know, no, that does not line up with what the apostles gave us. Nope. This is, I don't care what you say. I don't care how good your delivery, it doesn't line up. And then we see that word understanding. Now this understanding, it comes it's from the, the Greek word sunesis. It means a full and complete comprehension. The image is putting all the pieces of the puzzle together so as to see the complete picture. Does that sound like anything that we heard taught years ago from this pulpit? Painting the image, one stroke of the brush at a time. That is exactly what this is saying. Exactly what this is saying. And then this word acknowledgement, this, this word acknowledgement is really interesting. You probably hear me say that a lot. Now this is interesting. But this word acknowledgement, it comes from the Greek word epignosis. Epi meaning above and beyond, and gnosis meaning knowledge. Now here's the image that it presents. A knowledge that cannot be gained 
by typical methods of study, a knowledge that can only be gained by a more thorough participation, involvement, and pursuit on the part of the learner. In other words, you cannot get this knowledge by simply, you, you can't absorb it. You know what I'm saying? You can't just sit in church and and it happen. You're going to have to take what you hear and do it. See this? It's a knowledge that only comes as you participate with the source of that knowledge. And then he says this word um, this word hid. It means hidden away, concealed, but laid up in store. In other words, it's been set aside and saved for whoever will pursue after it to receive it. And the word mystery, this word mystery, it is the uh, the Greek word mysterion, and it means some sacred thing, hidden or secret, which is naturally unknown to human reason and is only known by the revelation of God. So you're, you can listen to all the sermons in the world, but if you aren't having some kind of an involvement with God, then... The full understanding of the mystery is never going to take place. See, it's one thing for me to acknowledge the fact that I heard a good sermon. And yeah, I agree with that sermon. But it's another thing for me to live in the truth that sermon delivered. Totally different. This is unlocking the mysteries. Now, let me kind of paraphrase this. Look in uh, chapter 1, verse 9. And in chapter 1, verse 9... For this cause, oh, let me let me tell you what I'm going to do. We're going to read verse nine, and then I'm going to give you a paraphrase of verses two, three, uh, well, two and three from chapter two. All right, now, chapter one, verse nine. For this cause, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with all the knowledge of His will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding which will produce an unwavering inner confidence in your walk in Him, the result of having a full and complete comprehension of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that are laid up in store for the Christian, the full and complete comprehension of which only comes as a result of a more thorough participation and involvement on the part of the learner with God, the Father, and Christ. For these mysteries cannot be known through natural human reasoning and can only be known by the revelation of God. So what we have then is Paul telling us right here, God has laid these mysteries up for you. They're there. But the only way that you're going to be able to receive them is if you are involved with him by yourself to receive this teaching. That's it. Now, in verse 2, it talks about, look at this, the mystery. That their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. The acknowledgement of the mystery. Have we seen this word mystery before? Anywhere else? 
Well, look back over in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. See, this all plays together. And when you really meditate these out, you begin to see that, yeah, Paul used different words, different phrases, but he's teaching the same thing in all of these churches. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in verse 6, Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. This is exactly what I just shared with you from over there in Colossians. And he says, Which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But, as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him, but God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God." Earlier, uh, when Brother Al was teaching, he was sharing how that our born-again spirit, it hungers for one thing, the things of God. And this is what God is saying here in this passage. He says, God reveals them unto us by His Spirit, our, our nature, His nature in us. That's the avenue by which He reveals all these things to us. Because our spirit is searching these things out. Our spirit is desiring to be fed by these things of God. And if we don't spend that time with Him, there's no way that we can come to the fullness of the understanding of these mysteries. And He continues in here and He says, For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him, even so the things of God knoweth no man, but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God that we might know the things that are freely given to us. How? Of God. Not of man, but of God. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. See this? So now we see that the Holy Ghost is directly involved with us on a spiritual level, and he's teaching us. Now, what kind of words does the Holy Spirit teach? <laughs> tongues. Tongues. As I'm praying in tongues, the Holy Spirit is working in me, comparing spiritual things with spiritual, revealing unto me these hidden things, revealing unto me these things that only are, are received from God, or received by us from God, Breaking down these mysteries, helping me to understand the fullness of what is revealed in Scripture, so that I can bear the fruit of everything that is recorded in Scripture relative to my potential in Christ. Because my potential in Christ can only be achieved by virtue of me doing that which produces the spiritual results. Now turn back over to Colossians. Well, no, no, look in chapter 14. <laughs> We don't want to forget this one. In chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. So here we see these mysteries again. The same word, mysterion. You go back over to Colossians. And what the Apostle Paul is telling us is, this, look, these, these mysteries are hidden in God. But they're not hidden away from us they're hidden for us so that as we involve ourselves with him he then 
reveals those to us because He's the only one who can reveal them to us. I can tell you what He has revealed to me. But I can't go any further than that. If I do, I now am delivering unto you the heresies which produce the schisms, which produce the divisions, which produce the splits. Are you following me? Now look over in, um, back in Colossians, and chapter, again, chapter 2. Now look here. In verse 4. The Apostle Paul says, And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. Lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. Verse 8. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. What does that mean, not after Christ? Not after everything that Christ has given to us. Think of, think of it like this to simplify it. And not after the sum total of what the foundation, the rock, has given to the apostles and what they've given to us. This word right here. And he says, For in him, verse 9, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. I am complete in him, just like Brother Alan was sharing, once you get born again, there is no more born again that you can get. That's it. Born again is born again. Now, if you look down in verse 16, he says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility of worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands, having nourishment ministered and knit together, increases with the increase of God. Wherefore, if you be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are you subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men. Now, what's happening here in this? He's warning them that your completeness is in Christ. Your salvation, your, your born-again self is complete in Christ. However, even though your born-again self is complete in Him, you still do not have the fullness of the acknowledgement of the comprehension of all the mysteries that are hid in Him. And the only way that you're going to be able to receive that knowledge, those mysteries revealed, is if you make that decision to spend time with Him just the two of you, because a preacher himself cannot unlock all the mysteries. It comes from God. And he says, I tell you these things to warn you. Because there are those who are going to come in and they're going to say, well, yeah, the blood of Jesus. Well, yeah, born again. Well, yeah, feel with the Holy Spirit. However... 
You need to understand. You need to be killing these animals too. I mean, every time you mess up, the blood of Jesus is, is good, yeah, but you need the blood of an animal. Because the blood of an animal will do better at getting you forgiven for your post-salvation sins than the blood of Jesus. And not only that, but you really shouldn't be eating this stuff over here. In fact, you probably shouldn't even touch it. And, and then, oh, don't forget, next week, all right, it begins the festival of. And by the way, where were you on Saturday for church? Because you know we've got to honor the Sabbath. And Paul was warning them, look, don't you let people come in and do this to you. Don't you let them convince you that you become more complete in Christ by doing these things. But don't you let them convince you that doing these things also gets you to the place of understanding the mysteries that are hid in Christ that can only be revealed as you are participating with Him, just the two of you. And you think, well, praise God, I'm glad it's not like that today. I'm, I'm glad that you know we don't have to worry about... Well, here's the variation on the... Th- it, guys, it's still going on. It's just not always about kill the animal and don't eat this. And do the festival. It's more than that. For example. One of the present variations would be. And I'll use part of the definitions I've used earlier. You don't have to have a more thorough participation and involvement with God, the Father, and Christ. Through prayer, fasting, worship, and the word. Because the fullness of your completeness comes by grace and the new nature. And so you hear that. And if it's taught just right, you start thinking, well, why should I spend all those hours in tongues? I mean, yeah, they're not telling me it's bad to pray in tongues. But if all I have to do is rely, now get this. Rely on my new nature. I will come to the place of being everything I need to be. Now that sounds like it could be true. It would be exclusively true if it weren't for the fact that Paul said all the the secrets, the mysteries of who you are in Christ are hid in Him, which means you don't have them yet until you get involved with Him to receive the breakdown and the understanding of those mysteries. And if you don't do that, you will not be able to receive from Him the full comprehension and understanding of everything that God has for the body of Christ. And so, yeah, I'll still be born again. Unless they start taking it even further away from Christ. But I'll still be born again. And I will come to the place of thinking I know everything I'm supposed to know. Because it's all about my new nature and grace. Guys, it's just like Brother Alan was sharing this morning. You got the new nature when you got born again. But you're a babe in Christ. 
And there's got to be some growth. There's got to be some development. And if it's not there, if you don't do what you need to do, then it's not going to happen. Well, here's the thing. Somebody can say, ah, yeah, well, Brother Martin, you know, appreciate that. I mean, you know, yeah, you're doing the best you can. I get it. <laughs> Brother Martin, may I be blunt? Yeah, sure. You know, you're kind of old. I mean, have you looked in the mirror, Brother Martin? Look at all that gray hair. You don't really understand the new revelation that God is giving us. You say, wait a second, what do you mean? Well, you know, the praying in tongues thing, it's not bad. But it's not as necessary as what you think. Well, it was for the Apostle Paul. <laughs> what was that? I think, my God, I speak in tongues more than you all. It was for him and the other apostles too. Well, yeah, but things are different now. We are at a place of greater revelation and understanding than we've ever, ever been. And Brother Martin, you know, you, you really need to get to the place of, um, of the same understanding, really. Okay. Let's think about this. I first started listening to Pastor Dave Roberson teach in 1996. My first conference was March of 1997. Now, I'm using my history as a point of reference. So I began listening to Pastor Dave, and I began listening to Brother Tim. I began listening to Brother Gary, and I'm listening to Pastor Bronk. Now, later on, Brother Allen came on the scene. But for me, that's where my foundation, if you will, that's where it began for me. I'm listening to Pastor Dave, Brother Gary, Brother Tim, Pastor Bronk. Okay, I'm listening. To them. Now, this started back in 1996. And this is what I heard about prayer, about fasting, about worship, and the Word. And I saw it broken down in Scripture, line upon line and precept upon precept. Now, what were you doing in 1996? Were you out of diapers? I mean... What were you? Were you even out of first grade? How old were you in 1996 when I started this? I've been, let me tell you what I've been doing all these years. I listened to a sermon by Pastor Dave, Brother Tim, Brother Gary. I listened to a sermon. I follow along in Scripture. I pray in tongues softly as I do this. And I take notes as I go. Either... Write them in a notebook or, or type it out on the computer. Okay, this is what I've been doing for years. Literally, year, decade. This is what I've been doing. And you're telling me that this new revelation you've gotten in the last eight years is deeper than the breakdown of Scripture that I've been receiving for nearly a quarter of a century? Is this what you're telling me? I, I know what I'm really hearing is that you have not put into practice what you've heard taught and received what God has been trying to get across to you. Don't tell me that I'm too old and senile in what I believe. Because what I believe has been established by the apostles. It's been given to the church. It's recorded in scripture. And these things that you're teaching, I'm sorry... I can't find Scripture rearranged 
to confirm what you're teaching. I can't. What I'm, what I'm seeing in the Word, this works because it takes me into that place of individual fellowship with God my Father, Jesus Christ, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it's in that place of that personal fellowship that teaching is passed on to me. I would much rather listen to them than to you. So don't take this personally. But according to what I see in Scripture, you're the one that's creating the schisma, the heresies. You're the one that's off track. You're not denying Jesus. You're not denying the Holy Spirit. But you're not teaching what the apostles gave. So you know what? I'm going to stick with what the apostles gave because that is what God has approved. And he's not approving what you're teaching. And if you're teachable, you receive it. And if not, the way it goes. Now, why am I saying all of this today? Because this is what God wanted me to teach. <laughs> the point I'm making is this. Every one of you in here, you know, things have happened over the last X number of years. I first started coming here in March of 1997 for the conferences. This room was jam-packed. Really, it was standing room only in some of the services. I have continued to come. And here's what I've observed. One by one, people that I thought were firmly established. It's not that they turned their backs and walked away and said, you know, ah, Jesus, get away from me. No, but they're going a different direction. They're going, and they are no longer fully teaching what we've seen in the Word today. You say, well, how do you know that? Because if they were, wouldn't they show up again sooner or later? I mean, wouldn't they? If, if you knew that God had sent the Apostle Paul back to earth and he was going to hold a conference in Mozambique, wouldn't you be searching out airline prices on how to get to Mozambique for that <laughs> absolutely it's so slick but it's so serious our only hope is this foundation that we have right here we must study to show ourselves approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth guys be encouraged what you're hearing if you apply it, will keep you on the path, keep you climbing the right tree of revival. Praise the Lord. Please stand.